We are uh, extremely happy that you're here with us today as we continue through our series seven when we look at the, the seven I am statements of Jesus. I want to invite you to stand as we look at our text from this morning. It's John 10, 11 through 15. And, and um, if you're new to us each week, I just ask you to stand when we read scripture just out of reverence for God and just to acknowledge that this is his word and it is living, and it is vibrant, and it does do a work in us. So if you have your Bible with you, you can take it out. Look at John 10, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read those now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd." Father, we come before you just in humility, God, asking that in our finite and limited understanding, you would make known to us infinite truths, infinite truths that shape our lives, that give us a clear sense of who you are and who we are in you, and guide us into all truth that we can live by. And Lord, I just ask that, that if in my ignorance I say anything today that's not the fullness of your truth, that you would let those words just fall to the ground and not be heard, but that you would fill this space with your spirit and let our hearts and our minds hear your truth in ways that will enliven us to follow your son and submit to him as the good shepherd. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so if you were here last week, I, I need to just clarify one thing. I don't hate all horses, okay? Because some of you this week are like, how can you not like horses? Well, because they bit me, that's why. I don't hate all horses. I don't like that horse, but I still am cautious around horses. So if you are somebody who loves horses and rides horses and you're a cowboy or something out there and you live on a horse, more power to you. Enjoy it but leave me out of it, okay? I just wanted that clarification before anybody finds me tomorrow to talk about the horses anymore. Listen, we're at the midpoint of this series that we're in called Seven, and we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus, and last week we heard Jesus say, I am the gate, and hopefully you saw that this statement of Jesus reveals that God is mercy and grace, the fact that he sent us a gate in the person of Jesus to enter into his presence is a revelation of his mercy and grace. Because through the gate, we can get somewhere we never could on our own, and that's into the very presence of God. And so Jesus as the gate is the only way into God's presence. There's no other way. This morning, we're going to look at his statement when he says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. And, and if you remember from last week, Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees here in John 10. He's, he's talking to them after they've excommunicated this man that he healed who was blind. And, and he's challenging the Pharisees and he's, he's calling into question their false narrative of God. And he's using this sheep metaphor to do it. So he introduces the sheep metaphor early in John 10. And he's continuing that today in these verses in 11 through 15. 
And so now in these verses, he presses that metaphor even deeper. He goes to a deeper place with it. And he goes there by telling the Pharisees that they're actually hired hands. They're not even shepherds. That they're not even the shepherds of, people, of the people of God. They're just hired hands. And he is the good shepherd. And by doing this, telling the Pharisees that they are simply hired hands, what he's doing is presenting a contrast. He's presenting a contrast between how the Pharisees approach the people of God and how he approaches the people of God. There's a dramatic difference in the two. And then he makes this statement in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And so if you remember from last week, I am the gate is a statement about access, right? A gate gives us access. Fences are designed to keep us out, but gates are designed to let us in. And Jesus says the gate secures our salvation and makes a way into an eternity in God's presence. But listen to this in John 5, 24, because this is relevant to what he says, when he, what he means when he says, I am the good shepherd. So John 5, verse 24 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus as the gate moves us from death into life. That's a glorious reality. And that's something we can all cling to and stand in. And so I am the gate is a hugely important truth of God that should shape my narrative of God. I should recognize that God is seeking out the lost and giving all of us a way to himself through Jesus the gate. And so the reality of I am the gate can be summed up in this one sentence. If I die tonight, I will be with God. That's the reality of I am the gate. I am the gate is a reality that says, if I die tonight in Christ, I will be with God. And so Jesus, after he makes it clear that he is the only way to God, he makes another statement about the reality of God in this sheep metaphor, I am the good shepherd. So I am the gate resolves where we will live forever. If I die tonight because Jesus is the gate, I will be in God's presence. I am the good shepherd, however, addresses how we will live. If I am the gate answers the question, if I die tonight, where will I live tomorrow? Then I am the good shepherd answers the question, if I don't die tonight, how will I live tomorrow? Both are extremely important. I am the gate is about me in God's presence. I am the good shepherd is about God in my presence. And so both of these things have an impact on our reality and how we live now. So as we look at this statement, I am the good shepherd, I want us to see that we can actually live now under his guidance and care and direction. Now, today, by answering two questions that I think come up when we look at the statement of I am the good shepherd. The first question is this, what does it mean in my daily life that Jesus is the good shepherd? What does it mean in my daily life, my daily existence, the things that I experience on an ongoing basis every day when I wake up? What does it mean in my daily life that Jesus is the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd should definitely help us clarify our narrative of God 
and what that means for us in our daily life. But first, to view God as the good shepherd means that I must view myself as a sheep. Now, here's the thing. No one has ever told someone they are a sheep as a compliment. No one has ever said, you're a sheep, and we looked at them and went, well, oh, thank you. Thank you, I'm glad you see it. Listen to this. This is a great book, and if you, if you are looking for something to read on Psalm 23, there's a fantastic book called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by a guy named Philip Keller who was actually a real-life shepherd, but he's also an author and a pastor. But he acknowledged, in, the, in this quote, he acknowledges the potential offensive comparison of being called a sheep. Listen to what he said. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Okay, that doesn't sound good. Our mass mind, our mob instincts, our stubbornness, our stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Now, there's nothing in that quote that makes it less offensive to be called a sheep. But then he writes this. Yet, despite the adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by his name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. The reality of what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd far outweighs the insult of being called a sheep. Once we integrate the truth of Jesus as the good shepherd into our narrative of God, not only will we not be offended by being called sheep, we will actually rejoice in it. Not because we are sheep, but because he is the good shepherd. And so what I want to do this morning is help you integrate this reality of Jesus as the good shepherd into your narrative of God and what that means for you and me as sheep. And I can't think of a better place to do that than in Psalm 23. We all know it, we've heard it, but I want to walk through Psalm 23 to help answer the question, what does it mean in my daily life that Jesus is the good shepherd? So, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no greater reward for the good shepherd than seeing his flock contented, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his watchful care which means that even when I feel totally depleted and lacking in my inner life, he provides all that I need to be whole in him. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Day-to-day -day life is exhausting. I don't think that's a revelation to any of you. It is exhausting because we tend to feel as if we have to create some identity we have to make ourselves into something. We feel like we have to overcome what others think or say about us. And even in those places of inner doubt and inner exhaustion, the good shepherd will make me lie down and rest. He will give me still waters of inner refreshment. That is his desire. And my deepest needs are his primary concerns. So whatever my need is, Jesus as the good shepherd gives me the freedom to recognize that that is of concern to him too. I'm never alone in my lacking. I'm never alone in my wanting. And then verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
The good shepherd's a healer. He restores and renews my soul. He does an inner healing in my daily life. Even when I feel stuck and isolated and abandoned, I can trust that he is good and he's caring for me. Because I am his sheep and he is the good shepherd. He will direct my steps. And when my steps are submitted to the good shepherd, when I go where he says, he will bless them. Because my identity is as his. I will not let things come into my life that pull me out of that. And when I stand in that place of my identity is in you, he will not let his name be diminished by having me stumble and fall. He'll guide me in every step in my life. And then verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In every danger that I face, the good shepherd is with me. He stands with me in all of the trials and the difficulties and the ugliness that this world may bring at me, which means that I can go into every single situation in my life, even the places of inner chaos and turmoil, in his presence with him by my side. That's exactly what we just sang. He is with you. He is for you. He surrounds you. And then I also get to the rod and the staff, which is a reminder that my correction when I veer off path and my rescue when I get stuck are of primary concern to the good shepherd. He will not let me roam off on my own. He will not let me step into the bogs of this life and find myself stuck there. His gentle rod of correction will always lead me back to himself and into truth and his staff of protection will pull me out of any place that I might get stuck in this life. And then verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The good shepherd will provide for me at all times. He'll bring a deep peace into every situation, even in the presence of my enemies. He longs to be in unbroken fellowship with me. And when a shepherd applied oil to a sheep's head, it kept mites and flies out of the sheep's ears and out of their mouth and out of their nose. And these insects were a tremendous source of annoyance and frustration to a sheep. The oil kept them away. The good shepherd gives me peace, not only in the big, massive things of life, but in the small annoyances and frustrations of life. The water that would overflow a cup is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the spiritual cleansing that comes on us when we're in Christ. And that water is provided in abundance. There's an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit accessible to us because Jesus is the good shepherd. There is a continuous and constant spiritual cleansing that washes us because Jesus is the good shepherd. And then we get to verse six and it says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not only does the good shepherd cover us with goodness and mercy, but he makes his goodness and mercy the wake of our lives, the residue of his presence in us as we come and go into all the places of our lives. Now, goodness and mercy following us becomes a blessing to everyone around us. Think about a boat going down the St. Clair River and the wake that comes off. 
Now think about your life as you follow the good shepherd, as you submit to him. Think about the goodness and mercy coming off of you as you move through this world as if it were a wake off a boat. His indwelt presence within us leaves a trail of goodness and mercy everywhere we go to be a blessing to others. And finally, we get to this. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, that takes us all the way back to last week, to John 10, 9, where it says, you will find pasture. That pasture is the very presence of God through the good shepherd who's also the gate. We come into the very presence of God for all of eternity, finally after we pass away and leave this earth, but also now as we walk through the daily life. Also now as we follow the good shepherd. And so what does it mean in my daily life that Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, hopefully from Psalm 23, you can see that it means that because he is the good shepherd, it is safe to submit to him. If we grasp that and understand it, all of the questions and fears that tell us I have to find my own way, I have to do it my way, I have to look out for me, I have to take care of myself, I have to be the one who gets what I want can fall by the wayside. Because Psalm 23 makes it very clear that the good shepherd is someone who is safe for the sheep to submit to. So here's another quote from Philip Keller's book. I think it sums up this idea of the good shepherd being safe really nicely. Jesus says the good shepherd does this, he says, it links a lump of common clay to divine destiny. It means a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. How can you hear that and not be inflamed inside? You, as you see you, with every flaw that nobody else knows, all of your failings, all of your sins, all of the dirtiness that you think everybody else sees when you walk in a room, is not enough to keep you from becoming the cherished object of divine diligence. Think about that. Let that press on you. Jesus, as the good shepherd, is saying, you are so important to me that I will lay down my life for you. Now let's be honest for one minute. If all of us, if we, if we all lined up one at a time and came up on stage and said, we want to examine your life in comparison to Jesus' life, and then we will choose which one is worth ending first. None of us could stand. None of us could stand. Heck, I wouldn't even step up here. I'd be like, y'all know the answer to that. End it now. And yet, Jesus says the good shepherd, because we are the cherished objects of his divine diligence, his divine care, says, no, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Do you see why in our daily lives, the awareness of Jesus as my good shepherd changes everything? It changes far more than my eternity. It changes everything here and now. Do you understand why the statement, I am the good shepherd, makes it safe to submit fully to Jesus? Because here's the thing. This world is full of people and things and institutions and systems and organizations saying, no, submit to me, submit to me, follow me. And none of them are safe. 
to quote Bob Dylan, everybody's going to serve somebody. There's no way around it. You're either going to serve yourself or you're going to serve the person that you think will bring what you want into your life. But can I tell you this? If you serve and submit to anyone other than the good shepherd, you are not safe. There's only one person we can submit to and be safe, and that's Jesus. And so the answer to our first question, what does it mean in my daily life that Jesus is the good shepherd? It's a pretty straightforward answer. It means it is safe to submit to the good shepherd. And the second question we need to answer this morning flows out of that. Second question is this, what does it mean to submit to the good shepherd? If it's safe to submit to him, then shouldn't we want to know what that means, what it looks like? How do we do it? See, this is a critical point. There's a critical point about the good shepherd that we have to understand if we're going to answer that second question. Listen, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He didn't say, I am good teaching. He didn't say, I am good doctrine. He didn't say, I am good theology. He said, I am the good shepherd. It's true that he is all of those things, but he never intended for us to submit to doctrine or theology or teaching. He intended us to submit to him on personal terms, not through intellectual concepts. Is it true that he is the only sound teaching? Yes. Is it true that he is the only sound doctrine? Yes. Is it true that he is the only sound theology? Yes. But can I just point out that there are people who have not submitted to him, who have no interest in him, that would agree with that statement? See, here's the thing. When he says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me, he's talking about a personal, interactive, ongoing, relational submission to himself. He's talking about submission to him as a person. Listen to this quote from Oswald Chambers. And the real trial of faith is not that we find it difficult to trust God, but that God's character must be proven as trustworthy in our minds. When we try to submit to theology and doctrine, we're going to find places of struggle where we can't submit. But when we submit to the character and the person of the good shepherd, those struggles will fall away. Because we are in a one-to-one, interactive following of the good shepherd. And so to submit to the good shepherd is to realize that we're submitting to the character and nature of the good shepherd, not simply his words or teachings. And that's critical because that makes my submission relational. I'm into a relationship now. It doesn't remove consequences for disobedience for not submitting. There are still consequences when we don't submit. But it does mean that I submit to the good shepherd for sake of relationship with the good shepherd because I trust him and I know he is safe. My submission is a means of strengthening my connection and my relationship with him. And so submitting to the good shepherd means that I am trusting the person of Jesus with how I live. To the same degree that I trust him with where I live if I die tonight. Now, unfortunately, many of us have ultimate trust in the fact that if I die tonight, I will be in God's presence. But then that trust starts to waver when we have to make decisions in this life, when we have to face choices and decide things and walk into places. 
Now, what does it mean to trust a good shepherd? Well, it means this. It means that I can trust Jesus in the same way Jesus trusted the Father. The greatest example of that trust that I can think of is in Matthew 26, verse 39. Listen to this. Jesus in the garden facing his death, and this is what he says. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That is the ultimate trust. The ultimate trust in a moment of life that Jesus had to face. This isn't trust based on, you're gonna take me to you if I just do this. This is trust based on, I am in a moment, and I am uncertain, and I do not wanna face this thing, yet I know I can trust you in a way that says I will submit to your will. And so what is submission? What's a life of submission? Well, it's a nevertheless life. It's being able to say nevertheless. And this is where every struggle of life should lead us to. The life submitted to the good shepherd begins with submitting my own vision of my life. I have to say, Lord, you can take this life and do with it what you will. I have plans, I have thoughts, I have ideas, I have pictures in my head of what it's gonna look like when I'm at this stage in this season. But I can still come to you and let you have that life. When we submit our vision for our life to the good shepherd, we live the nevertheless life. And it frees us from so much angst and worry and isolation. I wish things looked a certain way, but nevertheless. I wish I had this thing in my life, but nevertheless. I wish I knew how this was going to work out, but nevertheless. I wish I understood why all this was happening and where it's going and how I'm going to come out the other side, but nevertheless. So I want to invite you first and foremost into trusting the good shepherd. Not because I told you to or because I made some persuasive argument, but because of who he is. Psalm 23 tells us very clearly who the good shepherd is. And it reveals to us that as the sheep of the good shepherd, we are objects of his divine diligence which means he is safe to submit my entire life to. And so I want to invite you, not only in submitting your life, that follows, but I think it starts with saying, I'm going to submit my vision of my life, what I think my life should look like. I'm going to submit that to you. We just saw a tangible expression of that kind of submitting, that submitting of our vision for life to the Good Shepherd. Junior and Danny and Gabriel and Alessandra, they have a vision of life for their children. We all do. We all have a vision of what we want our children's lives to look like. And yet they stood up here before our church family and said, nevertheless. They dedicated their children to the good shepherd's vision for their lives. And they're going to be struggling, just like the rest of us. There's going to be moments where that submission is, is a struggle and it's a fight. But now they have a moment a moment to look back on and remember submitting their vision for their children's lives to the Good Shepherd. We're also about to have our own moment of that, a moment of submission, submission through remembrance, a remembrance that means even more than these poppies that we wear, that commemorate all of those who gave up their personal vision of their life for a greater vision for our country and for the world. And we are right to observe that sacrifice 
It is right to say when someone says, I will lay down the vision of my life for a greater vision. It's right to commemorate that and honor that. But the sacrifice we're about to observe now as we take communion transcends borders and nations. It goes beyond conflicts. It goes actually into eternity. In Luke twenty two nineteen. At what we call the Last Supper, Jesus said this, or it says this, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Doesn't that sound a lot like Psalm 23? The good shepherds prepared a table before us, and he invites us, all of us who have placed our trust in him, who are living to submit to him, to come together around it as a picture of what that table will look like in eternity when it's all fulfilled, but as a reminder here now that we can submit to him because he's safe. And so I wanna invite you as we get ready to take communion, I wanna invite you into considering what it means to actually submit to the good shepherd. And we start that submission in this moment of remembrance. But then also think about what it means to submit to the good shepherd in the vision that you have for your life. And so we're gonna do communion a little different this Sunday. We're, we're gonna play some music just to kind of be in the background. And I, and, and I wanna invite you into contemplating the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, remembering that in this bread and this juice. But I also wanna invite you into letting God reveal to you the vision he has for your life with him as the good shepherd. Consider that. Consider the places where the vision of your life is something you cling to, where you don't want his rod and his staff to comfort you. You just want those things. Consider that he's actually inviting you into allowing him to take full control over the vision of your life, to submit that vision to him and let him do with it what he will. So as you take these elements, I just want to ask you to sit in silence. Invite God into the vision that you have for your life. Submit to that vision. Don't think that you're going to walk out of here today and everything's fine and perfect and you're never going to struggle. You will, you'll struggle. I think Jesus knew that. I think that's why he said, hey, do this in remembrance of me as an ongoing act, not a one-time thing. Just feel free to take those elements whenever you feel ready. And then after a few moments, I'll just come up and close our service. But for now, sit in the reality and remember that he is the good shepherd, that he is safe to submit your life to and ask him where the vision of your life needs to be submitted to him so that you can live a nevertheless life in the Good Shepherd. Father, we're so grateful and thankful. Grateful and thankful for the sacrifice of your son, certainly. But God, we're also grateful and thankful for the ramifications of that. The fact that this goes much deeper than just this moment of remembering the sacrifice. 
it goes into us standing together and saying, we acknowledge you as the good shepherd. And we know it's safe to submit the entirety of our lives to you. And we know that submission means handing the vision of our lives over to you to let you do with whatever you will so that we can live a nevertheless life just as your son lived a nevertheless life. And so be with us in this time, in this space. Draw us deeper into yourself through this remembering of his sacrifice as we take these elements. But God, do a deep work in us around the vision of our lives. Teach us to submit that to the good shepherd. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.